Hi, I'm Barry Hamaguchi. And I'm Jason Marcos. This is Flop Redeemer, the weekly podcast where we discuss the stories behind our favorite pop flops and why you should give these songs a second chance. When Mariah Carey inked an unprecedented $80 million record deal with Virgin EMI in 2001, it seemed that her star had never shined brighter. But after Loverboy, her first single with Virgin failed to take hold, her status as a surefire hitmaker never recovered, leading to an era of up and down critical and commercial performance. All right, so we weren't intending to revisit Mariah Carey this soon. This is an episode that I wanted to hold off on doing until we had like a better handle on being efficient and proficient podcasters, but she has forced our hand because Rarities is coming out. Rarities contains the firecracker version of Loverboy. And that's coming out soon. And we want to get this up to I can I can I can taste the anticipation. Capitalize on it. Capitalize on it. Um you know what? I'm just gonna jump right in. Do is it. that okay, Jason? Do okay. it. We just talked about glitter yeah. last week and um this song it's wild it's wild (laughs) this song is much much better than the movie that it came from um if you if you want to listen to it all this stuff is going to be posted to our website flopredeemer.com you can communicate it you can communicate with us via email at flopredeemer at gmail.com um let's get into it this is a big one right this is this is It's, it's a huge one this is the song that essentially inspired this podcast that just brought it to my mind because um, it is possibly the most storied flop in modern pop music history. Um, this this flop true. has this flop has everything. It has unprecedented recording contracts. It has 27 foot long wedding dresses. It has private investigators, physical and mental breakdown, ice cream, flag dancers in silver Lycra bodysuits, and Carson Daly. Oh, God. Today, we're talking about Mariah Carey's 2001 single, Loverboy. <laughs> Are you it. ready? I love it. Okay. So. Mariah Carey released the song Lover Boy in July 2001 as the lead single from Glitter, her eighth studio album and the soundtrack to the film of the same name. The single debuted at number 60 on the Hot 100 and climbed as high as number two, helped in large part by a promotion in which the CD single was sold for 49 cents. So though the single itself ends up being one of the top selling singles of the year, it nonetheless underperforms Mariah's previous singles and the album as well as the movie are pretty much failures. And it's the failure of Loverboy and Glitter, as well as the events that surrounded its release that mark a turning point in Mariah's career. And it's largely considered the end of her days as an untouchable hit maker. This release effectively loses her, her record deal, and it indelibly changes the way that the public viewed Mariah's persona. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 crazy to think about it in those terms because, you know, just putting it into perspective, Mariah was the first, I think those was the first artist to have a number one single in every year of the decade of the 90s. Or like, you know, every year of a decade. So that basically from plausible. 1990 to 2000. No, she is. It's Okay. <laughs> she, I mean, I know that by, like, two, you know, by 2000, she had had 13... I think 13 or 14 number one singles. Yeah. She did. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So 
you know, to give some context for what happens in this story, let's, let's go all the way back. We've talked about Mariah before, but I want to cover some salient points that come up in this story. Right. So Mariah Carey is discovered in 1988 by record executive Tommy Mottola while she was working as a background singer for Brenda K. Starr. She's the songstress that brought us um, I Still Believe. Iconic. Um, so it's during a CBS gala that she is working with Brenda K. Starr as a background singer that she reportedly gives Tommy Mottola her demo tape and he listens to it um, while he's on the limo ride home. There's some weird parallels to like glitter, I feel like, in this. But yeah. So reportedly, or uh, according to rumor, in a kind of Cinderella, pretty woman-esque move, he has the limo driver like turn the car around, go back to the gala to find Mariah, but she's already gone. You know, it, he tracks her down, and um, after battling it out with other competing offers from other major labels, he secures Mariah's talents for his Columbia label, which is part of the Sony Music family of record labels so that's her start she releases some hit albums with columbia yada 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 we've we've talked about all this um but she and tommy matola um get married in 1993 and that's the year that mariah's music music box album is released um she wears this like total like early 90s realness wedding dress it's like off the shoulder sweetheart neckline satin with beads this giant ball gown with a 27 foot long train i think it's also got a 27 foot long veil it's just trailing behind her yeah um you know later on when she's talking about her her aban- her emancipation of Mimi era stuff. She t- says to Andy Cohen on Watch What Happens Live that her original idea for the uh, We Belong Together video, she wanted to burn that wedding dress at the end of that music video, but the director told her she couldn't do it. Um, and I just imagine that that would have just been a huge fire hazard. Like if you're not prepared to burn a 27 foot long wedding dress on set, like you shouldn't just uh, do that kind of thing on the fly, you know? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's Mariah Carey. Like, if you're a director, you can figure it out. I don't know. We've got gender reveal parties burning down like half of LA County right now. So we we need to have a greater like awareness of, I mean, <laughs> of what we should honey, and should not be setting on fire. In Honey, there was like those water, the jet ski things and explosions. Yeah, she's got a flair for the dramatic for sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so after the couple is married though that's when if you like you start to hear increasing reports about tension tension between mariah and her label tension between mariah and her husband specifically around the direction that she wants to take her music and the direction that she wants to take her image right and you touched upon this when you talked about if it's over that Um, Her second album, Emotions, it underperformed her first album, Mariah Carey, and any of the moves maybe that she was trying to make musically Mm -hmm. with Emotions were rolled back when she goes to Music Box. And it seems like maybe her record label was proven right because Music Box becomes like one of the best selling albums of all time, right? Yeah. But all for the, all with the sacrifice of Mariah really... Um, being channeled into adult contemporary pop radio. Mm-hmm. And so we start to get these reports about Mariah wants to do this, that, and the other with her image 
Tommy Mottola is a controlling personality and really wants to have this stranglehold over everything that she's doing, right? And um, it's it's always this thing is like, is Mariah being too sexy? Is she being too R&B? But at the same time, it seems like this is where Mariah Carey wants to head. Yeah. And it's in this era that she starts working with different producers like Jermaine Dupree and Babyface. And she starts featuring rap artists on her track. She famously gets ODB on the Fantasy remix. And she'll get uh, Jay-Z onto Heartbreaker, right? And this is all... You know, it's funny because I never, as not part of the Lamely, I never really uh, absorbed this idea that her music from album to album was that stylistically different. Mm -hmm. But I guess they are characterized in that way where like, oh, Mariah Carey is a pop album, but Emotions is an R&B album versus Music Box, which is an adult contemporary album. And I, I, I feel like that's part and parcel with the direction that pop music was heading in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it was actually a good move for Mariah to be pushing herself in this direction. Well, she was hugely influential in that, right? I mean, like she was the first pop artist to incorporate rappers onto her remixes in a way yeah. that like gained popularity. I mean, that wasn't really done before at all. They, they yeah. lived in completely separate lanes and she she helped usher in. Yeah, she helped. She introduced that into the po- popular lexicon. Exactly. And I think, you know, we just kind of take it for granted that that's what happens now. But that yeah. was, you know, you'd have your you'd have your pop music version of, you know, fantasy that played on pop stations. And then you'd have the remix with ODB, like on the urban stations. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, they eventually started to merge. But she was the first big artist to do that. Yeah. And I think for her, if she hadn't done that, she ran the risk of being you know, 29 or 30 years old in 1999, 2000 and being a has-been of basically just singing music that was completely out of date by 1999. Because at that point, yeah. you know, you're getting your, your your Christina Aguilera's and your Britney Spears and your Destiny's yeah. Child's, you know, you're getting, you're getting that stuff. And if Mariah hadn't already been there, she ran the risk of just losing that relevance in that period of time, I think. Yeah. Um, so in 1997, uh, Mariah releases the album Butterfly, and we know that album because of the songs Honey and My All. And she's continuing to push herself further and further away from her signature adult contemporary sound. And she's working with more and more hip hop R&B artists. She's working with Diddy. She's working with Missy Elliott. And it's in this era that you start to hear her experimenting with, with um, her controversial whisper tone where we were hearing, used to hearing her belt her high notes and do these really big soaring songs. She starts to do this. She starts to thin out her voice at that high end a little bit. And, you know, throughout this latter half of her career, I think, think that that becomes controversial or it becomes a question mark to a lot of critics and to the public, right? Like, can she sing? Yeah. That's where the questions start to come up. This year in 1997, she also separates from Tommy Mottola after four years of marriage. And so I don't know if it's a coincidence that in the year that she separates from Tommy Mottola, the person that's running her label, that suddenly 
the press is starting to question the integrity of her voice. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It could be because she is cha- she is challenging herself with different vocal styles. But it's strange that we've been used to Mariah Carey, the voice. Suddenly, it's like is her voice starting to go? Why is she singing like this? Um, those questions start to creep in in the year that she separates from Tommy Mottola. So after this, it's reported at this time, 97, 98, that Mariah Carey actually starts working on what would eventually become Glitter. Um, she starts to ideate around it, starts to think of this idea. Um, but in that she is in the process of getting divorced from Tommy Mottola, um, she has an increasing desire to complete her 10 album deal with Columbia so that she can just get out. She can extricate herself from Columbia records and from Tommy Mottola. So glitter gets put on hold so that she can quickly release, um, her greatest hits compilation number ones in 1998 and her seventh studio album rainbow in 1999. And this is part of what I think makes the flop of Glitter and Lover Boys so spectacular is that Mariah in 1998 was able to assemble a full-length greatest hits album comprised entirely of number one singles, like less than a decade into her career. Yeah. Um, That's a good album too. It's a great album, iconic album, and it sets us up for the the increasing expectation that Mariah will continue to release number ones. And she does get some number ones off of rainbow. Mm-hmm. It's, um, heartbreaker, heartbreaker. and, uh, thank God I found you. No, is that it? Shit. Was that not a number one? Oh no, I'm talking about rainbow. Isn't that on rainbow? Thank God I found you. Yeah. The one with Joe, well, the, the 98 degrees and. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That one, that one with 90 degrees. And the David LaChapelle, my mom. Reband. Oh my God. Like this is the, this is the time when like Mariah had always been safe for me. And then I got the number ones and you can kind of see Mariah's G string through her skin tight dress on the cover. Mm-hmm. Um, And my mom was like, Ugh. nope. And so I was like, so I had Band. to like hide that one. And then when rainbow came out and you know, she's in that, panties and like a tank top yeah with the rainbow with the rainbow that goes into the wall yeah yeah i mean yeah even which i loved even butterfly like daydream to butterfly like daydream she's wearing like a cardigan pants and a cardigan well you only see her you only in the cover you only see the top half of her but she's clearly wearing a cardigan and then butterfly that's like you see her cleavage and her belly button on that album cover and I feel like there's like a Destiny's Child rule of thumb that they always talked about where like they would each only show one part of their body. So if like if they were showing their midriff, they would cover their shoulders and their legs. And if they were showing their legs, they would cover the entire top half of their body. Like their costumes are very strategic. So as to like, you know, walk the fine line. And Mariah, but Mariah is liberating herself. She's like, you know what? I'm going to show my cleavage and my belly button. And it's just going to, you know, this is me. This is me from now on. Well, on the cover of number ones. And then she gets banned from your household as a result. Well, yeah, because I mean she had that that stick straight hair, you yeah. know, and she she had legs. And you're like, oh my God, like this woman. 
Yeah, you she? never realized she had legs before that because notoriously, Tommy Mottola was putting her in leather jackets with turtlenecks, with uh-huh. jeans, and then like knee-high boots over full-length jeans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For yeah. the past eight years. Yeah, you were like, wow. She she's... got really overheated. Yeah. She needed to cool down, so she just <laughs> she was like, I'm just going to be here. Yeah. <laughs> So after, after she effectively gets through nine of her 10 albums with Columbia, so she's getting really close to completing this deal. Um, this is where intrigue, espionage starts to creep in. This is also where my notes almost end. So forgive me if I start to get really scattered at this point. But so Mariah's divorce from Tommy Mottola is finalized in the year 2000. That's three years after they've separated and she's been spending this time trying to get out of her record deal. Um, in the me- in the meantime, Tommy Mottola has been cultivating the recording career of Jennifer Lopez, who up to that point was largely known as an actress and former In Living Color fly girl. Slash bit player in Janet Jackson's That's the Way Love Go- Go- Goes. Yeah, video. I was going to say, I was like... Yeah, but that's how we knew her up to that Erasure. Point, right? but so she she debuts in in 1999 and she surprises audiences with um on the six which gave us the songs if you had my love and waiting for tonight and that uh what is that let's get loud song yeah right it it galvanized her as like oh jennifer lopez is like essentially a triple threat actor singer dancer you know um up to this point, like Mariah Carey has not officially been released from Columbia because she's again only completed nine of the ten albums. But you know, ostensibly, she's still working on trying to get out of this. In this period of time, she resumes work on Glitter, and uh, the movie itself is a production of Columbia Pictures, and that they eventually release it. So connecting the dots, it's Columbia Pictures. She's signed to Columbia Records. Columbia Records is run by Tommy Mottola. It's all part of this Sony family. So not to say that there's any direct connection. I think that there's always these inklings that something was connected there that plays into what happens next. But, um, you know, clearly there's a familial connection there that Mariah hasn't been able to extricate herself from entirely. Yeah. And we've talked about Glitter, but they filmed this in September 2000. And um, if you've seen the film, we've seen the film, you know that Billy Frank, played by Mariah Carey, records a song called Loverboy, which you see in the movie being recorded, played on the radio, and performed live. So presumably this song, Loverboy, in one form or another, whether it's a demo or a fully completed, it exists by September of 2000 because they have something for her to lip sync to, right? In January of 2001, Jennifer Lopez releases her second album, J-Lo. And one song on the album called I'm Real uses a sample from Yellow Magic Orchestra's 1979 song Firecracker. And even though this song is apparently very influential in like electronic dance music circles, like they're considered kind of um, nearly as influential as like craft work for electronic music artists, you know, by no means was this a mainstream song. I don't Uh think that a lot of people were familiar with, but as it turns out, 
and this is something I had never heard at the time, was that this is the exact same sample that Mariah Carey had licensed for the original version of Loverboy. You know, I remember at the time there were these news reports that like, oh, Mariah Carey is really upset about this Jennifer Lopez song because she says that Jennifer Lopez stole the melody line from it. But at the time, to hear the versions of I'm Real and Loverboy that were released to audiences, it was hard to figure out like, what is Mariah Carey talking about? Right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, But looking back on it now, there are all these little breadcrumbs that show kind of what happened at the time because the movie gets filmed in September of 2000. There's a trailer that gets released either to the theaters or to like VHS home releases that are teasing the movie. And you can still find this clip on YouTube, I think. And in the background of the original trailer for Glitter, you can hear that um, that Yellow Magic Orchestra sample playing in the background as part of Loverboy. And then... If you listen to the Loverboy remix, the version that features um, Ludacris and Debrat, when Debrat does her verse, she rap sings her part, and she's clearly rap singing the the melody from Firecracker. So there are these little pieces of it that, even though the song is remade, there's remnants of it out in the wild that clue into the fact that oh, this this originally sounded like "I Am Real" by Jennifer Lopez. And um, later on, the owners to the rights of the song, they would reveal that, in fact, Mariah Carey secured the rights to the song first. And it was a month or two later that Jennifer Lopez reached out to secure the rights for her song. But because of, I think because of the fact that Mariah Carey's release was tied to a movie, right? And so the schedule was kind of pushed back in time for completion and release of the movie, Jennifer Lopez was able to record and release this song in advance of anything coming from Mariah Carey. So for all intents and purposes, it looked like Jennifer Lopez had, had done this first. Jennifer Lopez, AKA Tommy Mottola. AKA Tommy (laughs) Mottola. I mean, that's the funny thing is if you look into the Jennifer Lopez side of this story into like, even the Wikipedia for Jennifer Lopez's I'm real, the, the legend behind that I'm Real song, according to Jennifer Lopez's side, is um, the producers were working on the track. The producers had laid in that sample. Jennifer Lopez came into the studio, heard the track, and was like, oh, that's hot. Jennifer Lopez was like, went away for like 20 minutes, wrote the melody and the lyrics to that song herself, and recorded it. So there's a, there's there's like there's a clear separation of Tommy Mottola from the equation, but largely it's believed that Tommy Mottola knew what this song was going to be, whether because Mariah had been working on it for so long, or because he had an affiliation with Columbia Rec- uh, Columbia Pictures through Columbia Records that he had somehow heard this and decided to play a little bit of sabotage, right? <laughs> And it's after this happens, right, that there are reports that, like, Mariah Carey's hiring, like, private investigators to find out what Tommy Mottola knows. Um, There are reports that perhaps she's recording a bunch of decoy tracks for Glitter that she has no intention of releasing, but that she's intentionally 
leaking decoy tracks to try and get Tommy Mottola off her scent. Like it starts to go very James Bond at this point, uh-huh. but also from the outside seeming maybe paranoia. a little bit of, yeah, of a little bit of paranoia. Mm. So Mariah Carey's, she's being gaslit. <laughs> it, no, it, it, and it plays into the way that I think we started to perceive of Mariah Carey at this point. Right. Uh-huh. Um, so Mariah's forced to re-record Loverboy or reproduce it. I think that one of the signatures of this song is actually how weird it sounds. It sounded weird when this song came out because it does have that sense that Mariah Carey singing this song wasn't hearing the track that it was going to be laid into. And so the fact that the original track had to be pulled out from underneath the vocal and then a new track had to be kind of jerry-rigged into it, it all makes sense when I think about this song now. Mm-hmm. So they're working on finding, okay, what else can we use from that era, right? Because Glitter takes place in 1983. They need to find something, period, that they can put into this. And they end up with the song Candy by Cameo. And so there's this really distinctive bass line in Candy that they kind of pull in. Um, again, at the time that this song came out, it just sounded so dissonant. Yeah, I mean, it, there was like, to, uh, we were talking about this when we talked about Glitter. Like, there was no 80s nostalgia. Like, you listen to it now and it's like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. But like, at the time, like, there was, that wasn't, it wasn't an influence on current music. It, there weren't like remakes of 80s things at the time. Like, it just came out of nowhere, kind of. Yeah. So she's feverishly working on finishing up the Glitter soundtrack. In the midst of all this, in April of 2001, um, she announces that she has successfully been bought out of her contract with Columbia and that she's moving over to Virgin EMI. So the terms of this contract are kind of unprecedented. Um, the value of the contract, I was looking at numbers that ranged from about 80 million to 120 million. Um, it seemed like the most common number thrown around was 80 million that she was going to get, um, that potentially she was paid 20 million up front and then $20 million for $20 million advance for each of four additional albums after glitter that would total a hundred thousand or a hundred million, but essentially 80 million for like everything that she was doing with Virgin moving forward. Yeah. In addition, uh, Virgin had to buy her out of her contract with Columbia because she had never completed that 10th album. So they paid Mm -hmm. an additional $20 million to Columbia to get her out of her contract. So this is a, this is a lot of money. Huge. Huge. This is more money than anyone has ever spent on anything before. And, you know, on the one hand, it seems like Mariah, okay, she's gotten so many number ones. On the other hand, Rainbow has underperformed any of her previous releases, and she's moving into acting, which is another unknown for Virgin. So they're taking a big risk on Mariah Carey, right? And Yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's like, it's, yes, it's still Mariah Carey, like one of the most solid. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's not like it's a risk, but it's not like it's out of the realm of possibility because she was like still so huge, still so huge, but uh, like 80 million to $120 million to shell out is, you know, especially for, especially for five albums, which are going to take you into like 
the 2000s. Like you really don't know what's going to happen, right? Yeah. Big risk. Yeah. But it seems like there's a chance that this could work out for everyone involved, right? Yeah. So what happens after this? We move from April 2001 to July 2001. We're closing in on when Glitter, the movie, and Glitter, the soundtrack are supposed to come out, which their original release dates were in August, right? In July, <clears throat> in July of 2001, the song I'm Real by Jennifer Lopez is released as a single. So, so they're really moving in on this sample that they've stolen from Mariah Carey. In that same month, they do this weird thing where the I'm Real Murder, Inc. remix is released. Basically in the same month. Um, and the Murder, Inc. remix of I'm Real is not the same song as the regular version of I'm Real. Yeah, very different. Very different. The only thing that it shares with the original version of, version of I'm Real is that it contains the lyric, I'm Real. Like even the verses and stuff. Entirely different. Notably, one of the songs that Mariah had recorded for Glitter with Ja Rule, what was that song called? If, if we. we. She had recorded a song called If We with Ja Rule of Murder, Inc. shortly before this, which sounds suspiciously like the Murder, Inc. remix of I'm Real. It has that same kind of like down-tempo rap sung collaboration that was not in the mainstream mm -hmm. at that point. Um, Jennifer Lopez is able to release this song in July of 2001. Um, I think people largely consider it like so innovative, ushering in this new era of rap sung collaborations where it's more of like a 50-50 a split of back and forth. And um stuff that would appear on both the rapper's album and the singer's album type of songs i want to say um but in an interview pretty recently with complex irv Gotti, you know he kind of throws tommy matola under the bus and says that you know irv Gotti knew that ja rule had recorded this song with mariah he got a call from tommy matola basically saying i want ja rule to do a song with j-lo i want a remix of I'm Real um, with Ja Rule. And Irv Gotti, you know, Irv Gotti connected the dots and was like, I know, I, I get what you're doing. But Irv Gotti was like, I want complete creative control. Tommy Matola Tommy is like, whatever, do whatever. Just make sure it's J-Lo with Ja Rule on this track. And, <clears throat> and they completely revamped the song. It's totally different. Um, the song is released and for whatever reason, they're able to release these two completely different songs essentially as the same song for chart purposes. Like the success of the single quote unquote, I'm real is actually the combined success of the dance version and the rap version. And the success of it actually leads to a changing of the billboard rules where they say like, you can't do that anymore. Like a remix must actually share something in common with the original version of the song. But essentially what Tommy Mottola was able to do is he was able to take down two Mariah potential single songs with a single song from Jennifer Lopez. So just very nefarious. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and Tommy Mottola was like, I want you to make it sound exactly like 
that song that you did for Mariah. Yeah. So like just just intentionally, like the intention. Yeah. The intentionality was there. So there's so there's a lot of stuff that happens. Do I have time? Do I have time to cover this? Um, you know, it's fine. Okay, I can. I'm going to try it's and get fine. through this in ten minutes. You know what? It's fine because just so you know, full disclosure, like it's not end of the world. I have a cooking class that I paid for at one o'clock. Oh, okay. So, so if we go, I, about, I mean, I'm supposed to prep for it, but I okay. You know, I'll do. I'll it try later. to get you out of here as quickly as possible. Okay. <laughs> so I'm real by Jennifer Lopez has effectively just torpedoed two of these songs. By Mariah Carey on glitter, but she is, she's a workaholic. She's continuing to try and push it, trying to make it a success, trying to make it happen. Lover Boy, the reworked version of Lover Boy using the cameo single, is released on July 16th, 2001. And this is already like I'm Real is working its way up the chart. Um, but Mariah is pushing. She is on a hardcore, very exhausting promotional tour to make Lover Boy work. And what happens is that um, she makes a surprise appearance on TRL. And this happens on July 19th. And you can watch this appearance on YouTube, but it seems like, and Carson Daly says this to this day, that they were not planning for Mariah Carey to come in, that Mariah Carey just kind of showed up to come into the studio. And the real crazy part about what happens is that as she makes her entrance, they're just outroing Jennifer Lopez, the I'm Real Murder, Inc. remix. And they're revealing that the next song up on TRL is Loverboy. So at this point, like Loverboy and I'm Real are very much battling it out on the TRL charts. But Mariah Carey shows up. Mariah Carey shows up wearing a big oversized uh, like lavender t-shirt with Loverboy spray-painted across the front. She's pushing an ice cream cart, like the Paletas Man. <laughs> and she clearly can't really control it as she's trying to make her way through the TRL audience. But Carson Daly kind of seems like he doesn't know what to do. He keeps saying, like, what's going on? This is crazy. But Mariah's kind of just like, hi, hi, you know. And her her behavior is objectively speaking a little bit erratic she's a little bit unfocused and all over the place she's wandering to the windows and waving at people outside you know she has this photo of her mother that she's brought for Carson Daly she's handing out ice cream to everyone in the audience she fully takes off her shirt and gives it to Carson Daly and she's wearing, I mean, it's contra, It's weird because I remember it being so controversial at the time. Like she performed a strip tease. She was wearing like a halter top and booty shorts underneath. Nothing we hadn't seen her wearing on an album cover up to that point. Well, 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 well. Yes, but also like this is famed Mariah leather jacket turtleneck. Like d- has, has most of the world seen the transition yet? I mean, I, I would argue in that I would say that in that the video that they were introing was Loverboy. Yes. And it, Which and was a departure for her as well. <laughs> Loverboy directed by da- David LaChapelle, the music video for that. Um, Mariah Carey is cast as like a car show babe slash like flag girl at a drag race. And 
I remember in the making of the video for that, that she puts on basically two red bandanas tied together, basically yeah. just enough to cover her breasts. Yes. And I think it was a joke because I think it was an actual construct, like properly constructed top. But I remember in the making the video, she kind of jokes around like, oh, like they had this bandana and they, they, they wanted me to wrap it around my hair. But I thought like, oh, doesn't it just work great as a top? <laughs> but I was like, there's no way you could take a bandana that would fit around your head and fit it around no. the full circumference of your chest. Well, but, if you've seen the cover for glitter, like they, fo- they Photoshop half of her body. <laughs> maybe that's she's the fantasy she was living in. But, you know, notoriously, I want to, I want to insert the Lycra silver bodysuited mm. flag dancers into this conversation as mm-hmm. well, because I watched the video and the making the video for that. And I was like, Oh wow. Like pure David LaChapelle, like, male sexuality on display with these like yes like recoded um flag dancers out there just behind mariah just doing their full burning man fantasy right yeah yeah um so she makes this ill-fated appearance on trl um you know in what would today i think be a very critical misstep um, Carson Daly goes up to the camera and says, Mariah Carey has lost her mind. <laughs> and what follows after that in the weeks after that is increasingly erratic behavior from Mariah Carey at her public appearances. She does this signing at uh, an FYE, which was like a music store in New Jersey. And she's talking to a reporter and she kind of she starts to go off on haters and she's talking about how exhausted she is and how she just wants a day off. Cindy Berger, who at that point was kind of new to her publicity team, but would stay with her throughout kind of the two thousands is seen on camera, trying to grab the microphone out of Mariah's hands. And Mariah is just like pulling away from Cindy and she just wants to keep talking about this. And it's after that, that, Mariah Carey's website at the time had this function where she could call into her website and leave a voicemail to her fans. Um, Mariah Carey leaves some very exhausted sounding voicemails on her website talking about how exhausted she is. She hasn't slept in two weeks. She doesn't want to make music anymore. Those music, uh, those, those voicemails are rather quickly deleted, but people still have evidence of them because you know, receipts We're in the receipts era. And, um, Mariah Carey is then reported to check into uh, a hospital for extreme mental and physical exhaustion. Yeah. And all this, all this results in glitter soundtrack glitter, the movie being pushed out from its original August premiere date into September of 2001. So (laughs) what happens I think this is real, real weird because this is where gossip, they don't seem to have control over the media narrative and the gossip surrounding Mariah Carey as good as I think that they should have, right? Because around the time that Mariah Carey checks into a hospital in New York for treatment, there are initially gossip magazine reports that Mariah had attempted to commit suicide. Cindy Berger, her publicist, makes a statement saying, no, Mariah Carey did not, she did not try to commit suicide. She got upset and started throwing plates and cut her hands and feet. And I'm like, what the fuck kind of publicist (laughs) tries to downplay the story of 
a suicide attempt by saying, don't worry, she just was getting real hysterical and started smashing plates at her mother's house. (laughs) Yeah. So we get into this and... We, I, I don't think Mariah Carey ever recovers from this. Glitter comes out. By the time she's out of treatment, Glitter comes out and it's September 11th. The soundtrack yeah. comes out to that. The movie premiere happens quickly in the aftermath of September 11th. And I think that that already, it, it just tarnishes an already kind of not great product on Mariah's part. Yeah, And really... I think that this will help lead us into further Mariah flops that we talk about in the future is that after this point is when I really feel like Mariah Carey loses control of how the public perceives her as a public figure. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know. I wonder how much Tommy Mottola had to do with that, you know? In the aftermath of Glitter being a failure, Virgin EMI decides to drop Mariah, right? January 2002, they make the official statement that they've parted ways. They've opted to pay her $28 million for nothing. $28 million just to Buy her out. leave the rest of her yeah. contract, basically. And I think that then we enter the extreme era of uncertainty with Mariah Carey. And we'll cover that, I think, with the remainder of our Mariah Carey flops episode. The Mariah Carey mega flops episode. (laughs) (laughs) You know, one thing that I was wondering about too, okay, I will wrap it up with this. And I know we're running really short on time, but I wanted to wrap it up with this. I was thinking about the Mariah Carey Cribs episode. Yeah. In relationship to where did that fall in this timeline, right? The Mariah Carey Cribs episode, um, it it aired in January 2002, in the same month that it was announced that she lost her record deal with Virgin EMI. I rewatched parts of it. You can find it on YouTube. There's a reaction video. That episode is almost entirely um, soundtracked by songs from Glitter. Mm. And for those that don't know, Mariah Carey is further amplified in this kind of crazed yeah, is she's she very okay yeah, yeah. kind of um point of view because notably she goes into her laundry room she says this is my favorite room in the house it's her laundry room she proceeds to take her dog out of the dryer <laughs> well and then she gets into, i mean at one point she gets into the bathtub she gets in she gets into the bathtub in a nightgown wraps a towel around herself, strips her nightgown off, and then dips herself into a full tub of water with a towel wrapped around herself. Yeah. And then she goes to her home gym and she Mm -hmm. gets onto her Versa climber in four inch heels. She says, I like, you know, getting on here and looking out at New York and all the while in my four inch heels and black ensemble. Right. And she has to clarify, like she revisits this when the emancipation of Mimi comes out and she has to revisit this and tell people like, I was joking. This was all a joke. Like, I don't know why people thought that this was seriously me. I did not get into my tub with a towel wrapped around me. Like I was serious. She's like, I was wearing a bodysuit underneath. It was supposed to be funny, you know, but 
through the lens of what had just happened in her career, it didn't it didn't help that narrative. No, no, no. And I mean, how would anyone supposed to believe that that was a a joke? I mean, like, I think now we kind of see a little bit more into her. But like, yeah, yeah. Now I feel like she's been very explicit talking about what a sarcastic person she is. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we had never seen of her in those early days. And so when we were first seeing this, this is where all the criticisms against Mariah, Mariah is getting heavy. Mariah is, she's obviously using cocaine. Like all these rumors about her stem from her behavior during this time. And unfortunately it's only revealed like in 2016, I think that around this time she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Yeah. And that was something that she was terrified of disclosing at the time for fear that it would have ramifications on her career. Yeah. And unfortunately, because I think because of the way we were having conversations about mental health at that time, it, it had ramifications regardless of what she did after that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So anyway, to be Uh, continued. (laughs) Well, yeah, we'll continue and we'll talk about a, a truly strange second act. Yeah. Uh, third act. That, the third act hasn't really started. I mean, I guess it's about to start. Yeah. After this, after this, there's a lot of ups and downs to cover. Yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll keep, we'll keep on trucking through the truly epic career. That is Mariah Carey. She's on Epic now too. So. Oh, good. Oh, good. I made a pun. I didn't even know. <laughs> Don't come for me. Lamely. Don't come for me. They're not. How could, what are they? I mean, the Lamley is not known for that. After, I mean, we, we, we just, we just read glitter the movie for filth. So everyone read glitter for filth. I mean, it's it's a bad movie. Cult classic to some. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, someone needs to come for Jennifer Lopez. What they need to do? Yeah. Oh, we should do Jennifer Lopez sometime. We will. Okay. We will. Anyway. We are critically, we are critically and criminally and fatally out of time. <laughs> Jason has a life. He so has, do you. I don't have a. I mean, I'm good, but I can keep. I mean, I basically was just talking my way through my entire script this whole episode because we were so short on time. It I was pretty terrible. good. I will let you take full helm of the next episode. Um, <laughs> And I will let I you think there'll just, be a lot to talk about, so we'll be good. Yeah, we'll just wax poetic next time. But uh, yeah. thank you for joining us today, Jason. You can talk. You can read this outro because I haven't let you talk to this whole time. Oh, shit. Let me, you know what? Let me pull it up. <laughs> <laughs> ah, well, as always, special thanks to Adam Elder for composing our theme music. Songs and videos featured in today's episode will be posted to our website, flopredeemer.com. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. Check us out on social at flopredeemer on Instagram and Twitter and at facebook.com slash flopredeemer. And email us any of your questions, concerns, whatever you want at flopredeemer at gmail.com. Great. Love it. We did great. We did it, Jason. We did. We did. We did. Hopefully in time for the release of rarities. In stores October 2nd. (laughs) (laughs) See, Lamley, we care. We care. We care. All right. I'm going to stop recording.